Alternative Radio. You are listening to Texas History Lessons, a slow walk through Texas history made in Texas by a Texan for everyone everywhere. Thanks for listening to Texas History Lessons. I'm Michael. And in past episodes, we have already looked at two of the three worst disasters in terms of death and injury that Texas has suffered. The first being the Galveston hurricane of 1900, where thousands upon thousands died. We don't even really have an accurate count because we just don't know. It could be upwards from anywhere from nine to 12,000 people. And that was such a horrific event that struck that city and it changed that city's future then and there. One of the cities that benefited from it, though, because Galveston was such an important port, was the city we're going to be looking at today, Texas City. The other disaster, of course, that we talked about recently was the 1937 New London school disaster, the explosion that killed so many young people that wiped out a generation in the town of New London. Um, Again, a very devastating event that the people there having talked to some people that have family there still it's still present in people's minds today we're going to look at what's considered probably the second worst disaster in texas history um and third in the timeline it happened on april 16th 1947 in the town of texas city and it also was so devastating that it's also the worst industrial disaster in the history of the United States, period. Now, let's begin by first looking at Texas City. Now, where is Texas City? Texas City, if you ever have been down to Galveston, you pass by the exit for Texas City every single time you go. Between Houston and Galveston, Texas City, it's a mainland deep water port on the southwestern shore of Galveston Bay. And today it has, from what I gather, a population of over 50,000 people. But that's not always been the case, of course. Texas City came into existence in the 1890s, but people have been living there for decades before that. Now, strike that. They had been living there for centuries and centuries. The Caracas thrived on the coastal estuaries of Texas before the arrival of the Europeans. So they had been there for a very long time. And they would have been familiar with the area of Texas City and would have harvested from its offerings. And then in the 1830s, veterans of the Texas Revolution were granted land in the area and the community has its roots going back to this time period. In 1854, the United States government decided to construct a lighthouse on a site called Half Moon Shoal. And this is opposite of what later would become the Texas City Dock. And the little village of Shoal Point continued to develop. It was a community of fishermen, farmers, cattlemen, and lighthouse keepers. Then in 1878, the community was given a post office and officially confirmed as the name of Shoal Point. It was very small, though, still at that time. And then... In 1891, 
some gentlemen from Minnesota had come down to the coast to do a little hunting and enjoy the offerings that the Texas coast had to sportsmen. The Myers brothers, Jacob, Henry, and Benjamin, while they were hunting, had a realization. They saw potential in this area near Shoal Point for a way they could make money and change the area a lot. They were from Duluth, Minnesota, and with some other investors from their home city, they purchased 10,000 acres of the Galveston Bay Coast, including the community of Shoal Point. And then they renamed the location Texas City. And on May 17, 1893, the first town site plat was filed by the Texas City Improvement Company. And the federal government gave permission for the company to start dredging an eight-foot gulf channel to Texas City. And then that grew later on and grew later on. Many people migrated to the area, to the newborn Texas City, from Minnesota and Michigan, and the town started growing. The port was in business by 1894, and eventually the channel was dredged to 40 feet, and the port grew to one and a half miles in length. Over the years, more and more industry and shipping started to go to this site. It was connected by a four-mile, initially connected by a four-mile rail line to the Texas City Junction of the Galveston-Harrisburg and San Antonio and the Galveston-Houston and Henderson Railroads. It's also connected to Santa Fe Railroads. And eventually, rail lines carried Texas City freight to Houston. After the Galveston hurricane, as I mentioned, of 1900, Texas City received much of the trade that could not go to Galveston as intended originally. In 1908... A new business, the Texas City Refining Company, was chartered. And this was a few years, as you remember, after the discovery of the Spindletop oil field. And over the next 20 years, three more refineries were built in Texas City as the port's activity continued to grow. Texas City became an important link in the shipment of Texas oil. In its earliest days, not that many ships would arrive. I mean, they could get as many in the, as a dozen a year. But by 1910, Texas City had 239 ships arrive that year. Over a thousand people called Texas City home by 1911, and that's the year that the city officially incorporated. 3,500 people lived there by 1925, and in 1939, it was home to 5,200. In 1940, the only tin smelter in the Western Hemisphere was built in Texas City, and more industry from other areas started coming to the city. During the 1940s, the Monsanto Chemical Company built a plant to manufacture styrene, which is used in synthetic rubber, and the young city continued to thrive. And by the late 1940s, it had a population of over 16,000. Everything was going good for this new city, and after the war, prosperity continued. Then disaster struck, which brings us to the Texas City disaster. Before we move on, I want to pause and thank Age of Radio for hosting Texas History Lessons. And now, in just a second, we'll get right back into the Texas City disaster. On April 16, 1947, the French-owned ship SS Grand Camp exploded at the docks in Texas City. Its 
again, I want to reiterate, it's the worst industrial disaster in United States history. And it is one of the largest non-nuclear explosions in history. Now, what happened? So the ship was loaded with 2,300 tons of ammonium nitrate fertilizer. And it had been produced in large quantities for explosives during World War II. But after the war, it was being recycled for fertilizer. And I have, working in agriculture, I've been around it my entire life. Uh, but also, the explosive nature of it is something that we all became familiar with, with the Oklahoma City bombing, which is what was used for that tragedy. So it is a volatile substance. Most of the time, though, when used properly, uh, you load it up in the back of a spreader or a spreader truck, and you sling it out on your field, and it rains, and it gets taken into the soil and is used the nitrogen from it helps feed whatever crop it's being used on but in this case you had 2300 tons of it and men were there that morning on april 16th it was a nice cool morning and men loading the bags of fertilizer discovered some smoke in one of the ship's hold early in the morning and what caused the fire not sure. Dean Vincent sent me a, uh, an article that suggested that it probably was maybe started by somebody that was smoking in the ship's hold, even though that was not allowed. It was pretty common uh, and it often caused fires on ships. So the Texas City Fire Department was called in to fight the fire. But despite their efforts, the fire continued to grow and the ship's hold grew hotter and hotter. Now, one report suggests that the ship's captain forced steam into the hole in an attempt to kill the fire. And if this is what he did, instead, it's thought that the steam vapors probably liquefied the ammonium nitrate. Because, again, being familiar with ammonium nitrate, if it touches water, it does liquefy. And produced the extremely volatile substance of nitrous oxide. Smoke billowed over Texas City as the fire burned, and spectators started gathering at the dock to watch the efforts to control the blaze. Then, at 9.12 a.m., the ship exploded. A fireball erupted 100 feet in the air. The 3,000-pound anchor was blasted a mile and a half away. This explosion did destroy the entire dock, including the nearby Monsanto Chemical Company, a lot of other smaller companies, the grain warehouses, numerous oil and chemical storage tanks. It damaged the refineries, and this was just the beginning of this disaster. Flying debris caused other smaller explosions and fires throughout the city. Iron. Parts of the ship's cargo, dock equipment, flew through the air, destroying and damaging houses and businesses and public buildings all over Texas City. At least 1,000 residences and buildings throughout Texas City were destroyed or damaged. Again, remember, let me reiterate, the largest non-nuclear explosions in history. It is one of the largest non-nuclear explosions in history. 
the force was so great it caused a 15 foot tidal wave that swept the dock area. It was felt 68 miles away in Port Arthur. It reportedly shattered windows in Houston. The Homeland Security Digital Library states that the shock was felt 250 miles away. And another report says a seismograph in Denver, Colorado registered vibrations from it there. It was so strong that an anchored barge, these are big vessels themselves, was thrown from the water and landed 110 feet away. Then, to make matters worse, there was another ship that was in dock for repairs, the SS High Flyer, also carrying large amounts of ammonium nitrate. It caught fire when the Grand Camp exploded. They towed it out 100 feet from the docks, and it exploded about 16 hours later at 1.10 a.m. on April 17th. The first explosion killed over 25 Texas City firemen. It also destroyed all of the city's firefighting equipment, including four trucks. So, fires are burning all over the city. Damage everywhere. Your fire department has been decimated. And Texas City did not have a central disaster organization or plan, but most of the chemical and oil plants did have disaster plans, and they started to activate them. Hundreds of local volunteers rallied to fight the fires and attempt rescues of people that were caught and trapped in the debris. There was no power or water running in the city after this. Red Cross personnel and other volunteers from surrounding cities started to pour into the area until almost 4,000 workers were battling the aftermath of this explosion. They set up temporary hospitals, morgues, and shelters. The high school gym was used as a morgue, and the mechanic shop was used as an embalming room. Now, how many died? Not really possible to know exactly. Um, one record lists 576 known dead, and only 398 of them were able to be identified. There is also a list that said that there was an addition to that. There's 178 listed as missing. Now, Monsanto's personal records were destroyed, and many of the dock workers were itinerants, making them difficult to identify. Almost everyone in the dock area were killed, including firemen, ships, crews, and spectators. Most of their bodies were never recovered. There were 63 bodies that were buried unidentified, and we'll get to where this happened in just a minute. So in addition to close to 600 dead, possibly more, there are over four to 5,000 people injured. Uh, the property loss was estimated about $67 million. And then in June 1947, the bodies of the identified, unidentified dead were buried together in a memorial cemetery in Park. And then a new section was added to it in 1991. And we're going to comment one more time on it in just a minute. Texas City rallied, though, like we've seen with Galveston, with New London. People came together, they rallied, they rebuilt, and continued to grow. Um, most of the houses, docks, warehouses, chemical plants were rebuilt by 1950, within three years. Now, lawsuits 
came from this, of course. And in 1962, the United States Supreme Court refused to review an appeals court ruling that held that the Republic of France, owner of the Grand Cap, could not be held liable for any claims resulting from the explosion. And then the litigation was then settled. There are also more than 3,000 lawsuits against the United States government since the chemicals had originated in United States ordnance plants. Remember, the fertilizer, the ammonium nitrate, had been manufactured for use as explosives. But one of the wonderful things about it is it's a, it's a, it's a very useful and it's found in lots of fertilizers used as fertilizer for agricultural and for gardening. To resolve the suit, or the multiple suits, the United States Congress passed a special act in 1956 to settle all claims for a total of $16.5 million. Due to the severity of this disaster, as you would expect, there were many changes and regulations for the bagging, handling, and shipping of chemicals and the chemical industry made changes to help try to ensure something like this would not happen again. Today, if you visit Texas City and you go to the Memorial Park that I mentioned, you can visit the burial side of the 63 unidentified dead. And a short distance away, you can see the 3,000 pound anchor that flew a mile and a half away when the Grand Camp exploded. And as I, again, I want to reiterate, after the disaster, the city recovered and it continues to be an important port in Texas and for the nation. And it's a large center for industry. That little tiny coastal place where these brothers from Minnesota saw potential is now has a population of over 50,000 and is still a vital uh, industry and shipping area. So that's going to do it for our look at the Texas City disaster of 1947. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank my Patreon supporters for helping me out with the show. Uh, their contributions have helped me get some much needed books for resources for future episodes that I've been working on. I want to thank a lot of the people that have contacted me. I've had some wonderful messages either through the show's email at texashistorylessons at gmail.com. You can also go to texashistorylessons.com and there are options there for contacting or rating the show. I've had some good reviews unasked for. I don't really ask very often and I guess I should, but you know, I figure if you like it, enough to do it you'll do it yourself i've had some wonderful comments from people and i just want to thank all of you i had a nice message from a gentleman that lives down in austin who's not from texas but he heard the episode about visiting the bullock museum and he and his wife went and enjoyed it um and i had another lady that messaged me recently that she actually found the show on the first dogs episode and had some interesting input and suggestions for the show. It's just nice hearing from people. Thank you very much. We're about to start what I'm calling Season 2 or Part 2, where we're going to look at Spanish Texas. So that's going to be very fun and exciting. 
And uh, again, thank you for listening. People keep finding the show. The most important thing you can do to help the show is just share it. Share it. If you like it, share a link to it with friends. Share it on your social media. This would be greatly appreciated. But just you listening is the most important thing. And thank you again for that. Uh, That's going to wrap it up. Until next time, this is the Texas History Lessons Podcast. I'm Michael, and I take care of each other and be good to yourself. Thanks for listening. Adios. You can fake all of your sorrows Leave them there at the door Tired of caring about things that I can't change Take all your apologies Cash them in at the bank Cause I've been mad as hell I'm mad as hell.
just ain't taking it somewhere.